in the midst of vacation, I came back for an elders meeting and a closing on a refinance because, you know, that's what you do on vacation. And um, in the midst of one of those conversations, uh, I was sharing that while we were away, you know, I don't typically get to see a ton of commercials because I, I stream, so I try to fast forward through that as much as humanly possible. Um, and maybe you're like me in that, but uh, as we were away, we had a TV on in the background, and, and we were kind of confronted with something as a family, that in, just in a, a new and unique way, as, as television stations changed over logos and all of this type of thing, and I was just struck at one point uh, as, as everything took on a rainbow hue, uh, I was struck at one point as we were on kind of like a, a classic TV station, and I think that was actually the name of it was classic TV, but it was rainbow colored, and I just thought there's an irony to this moment that the people that I'm watching on the screen probably wouldn't even understand what's happening with the, the logo bug, so to speak, in the bottom corner, and it's difficult to adequately address this, and yet Scripture clearly addresses issues of sexuality throughout the pages of Scripture. And so today, I just thought it might be appropriate to take a moment and just pray for us as a church. This isn't going to be a mini-teaching. This isn't designed to be anything like that, but I do want us to be equipped as a church for how do we respond to a world that takes a month out of the year, something like 8% of our year together, and, and decides that that is a month to celebrate pride. And beyond that, I mean, we can just start with the word pride to begin with and just realize that that is actually something that God clearly, in James, tells us that he opposes. And so this isn't something about lifestyles or anything like that. This isn't this isn't a moment for us to learn new ways to demonize people. But we as a church need to be equipped by God's word for how do we respond to a watching world who is celebrating a distortion of God's good design. And so, if you don't mind, I'd like to just lead us for the next few moments in a pastoral prayer. Would you bow your head with me? And pray. God, this morning we turn to you and we start by humbly asking for your help. As many in our nation celebrate what is now known as Pride Month. For we know from your word that you oppose the proud, but to the humble you give grace. Proverbs 21, 23 through 24 reminds us, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. 2 Peter 3 tells us there will be days when people will scoff at your name in their arrogance as they pursue their own sinful desires. And so, Lord, this morning, our starting place informed by your word is humility and acknowledging that you alone are the author of life. That means that you are the one who has the authority to, to direct your good design. And you do so for our good and for your own glory as we submit ourselves to your ways. Lord, I take just a moment now to pray for families here in our own church. I pray for protection for marriages. I pray for purity in those who are not married. I pray for protection for our children, for our brothers and sisters who have been rescued out of a homosexual lifestyle. We praise you and we thank you for your redemption. For our brothers and sisters who struggle with same-sex attractions and temptations, we pray for your divine strength as they seek to honor you with all of their hearts, mind, and strength through their bodies. For those who would be struggling with their own sexuality, questions that they don't even know how to voice within the church because of the assumption of a response. 
Lord, may they find most clarity through the heart of your purposes in our fearful and wonderful making. You know our frame. You know how we were knit together in our mother's wombs. So what we ask this morning is that your kindness would lead to repentance for any who are in sin. May the church's humbly turning to you in prayer be a part of the process of bringing healing and restoration to our land. Jesus, you are a great shepherd who laid down your life for your sheep and you instruct us in John 10.10 that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we pray for, for all who turn to you. We pray for a fullness of life, experiencing the abundance of grace that you pour out. We pray this for those we interact with in the world or in our own homes, as well as for our own hearts and minds. May our collective witness not only point to your glory, but walk in mercy toward others. Strengthen all of us to walk in a long, eternal direction together we need you so we look to you alone for help in our time of need drawing near in Jesus name would you just sing this chorus with me in response behold the man upon the cross my sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished Lord we know that it is finished because Christ himself declared it to be so and we thank you for that God in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Church, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and give me just a moment as I adjust this microphone. Well, I'm grateful for Mike and Seth preaching, but that doesn't mean their fat heads didn't stretch out the microphone. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Just joking about that. Figured it was a good time to get everybody laughing again. All right. How about we take a look at something very simple to understand, and that is faith, healing, and miracles. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if, if you may have heard me mention just a moment ago, we've been a few weeks now into a, a series in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It's kind of part of a broader series for us as a church where we're calling it Dear Church, but this moment we're calling a Spirit-filled church. And, and really the idea here is to set up an expectation and an anticipation of what it looks like when the church gathers together. And here's, here's the wonderful news about what we're going to look at. It's not controversial at all. No, it's wildly controversial. And and so what do we do when we bump into something that is controversial? Well, we look to God's Word first and foremost for the evidence of what it is that we should believe. And so this morning what I want to do is actually take a few moments on each one of these subjects, faith, healings, and miracles, and I want to look to God's Word so we're not just going to look at this, this passage this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. We're going to actually look at these three words in particular that, God, that Paul says are expressions that God gives to the church for his glory and what it is that God's word says about it. Now we're not going to be able to see everything from God's word and so... I'm not cherry-picking verses that go along with the points that I'm trying to make. Actually, this is one of those moments, similar to the pastoral prayer that we, we just prayed, that I would say, these are wonderful things. These are my favorite emails to get and to answer. 
and, and maybe even just set up an appointment and, and have, have lunch together or just talk about these things. So if there are things that you're hearing when we're gathered together today that you have questions about or you're wondering about, we would love to talk to you about these things. Why? Because we actually want to be a spirit-filled church. And I think that's actually your desire as well, but, but there is something about the difference in kind of acknowledging that, like, yes, I love being a part of a spirit-filled church, and realizing that that means that you are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference in those two things. One is more like a spectator, and the other one is like, I'm in. I'm in because that's talking about me. And you may find yourself in the midst of this kind of wondering at times, like, what do I do with all of this? And so what we're taking the time to do over the summer is explore these passages slowly and thoroughly. So like this, this Sunday, we're talking about faith, miracle, and healings. And, and next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Those are subjects that, that really are kind of like foundational to our faith, and yet there's so much confusion in the world today about what these things mean. My desire today is not to add confusion, but to hopefully bring some clarity. So let's find out together if that's going to be the case. Let's read in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 together. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit through the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He will. Now I have a question for you this morning as we think about this passage. Has being part of a charismatic church ever caused you to pause in inviting someone to be here with you? Has being part of a charismatic church ever caused you to hesitate? And inviting someone to be here with you. Like, you start working through these kind of what-if scenarios. Oh, what if so-and-so gets up to share? What if Chris says something about being a charismatic church? What if they talk about the gifts of the Spirit more than the fruits of the Spirit? What if the whole sermon gets canceled and a healing service breaks out? What if I have to explain something about what someone else in the service says? I think if we're honest, we've all had that experience to one degree or another. Can I appeal to you this morning? I know those questions. There's a reason they come very naturally to me. Because I'm tempted to have those same questions myself. Like, what if you get up and say this? How are you going to explain that? But see, that's, that's a temporary experience. That's, that's, a, that's a fleshly experience. It's kind of focused on the world and our comforts. But that's not the experience that we're invited into in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. See, my desire this morning, my desire throughout this series in life and in the discipleship that we experience here in the church is that we understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit rightly. And even more than understanding them, that we all experience them to the fullness that God has created us for. Why? So that it would build up the church. In other words, the point, the question that we might be asking is wrong if we're saying, what if so-and-so gets up and says something? What if Chris says something I'm uncomfortable with? What we should be asking is, what if they walk away and say, God is really among them? That's actually what 1 Corinthians 14 language points to. What if they walk away and say, God be praised? 
I just saw something in that church that, that wasn't wild and out of control, but it was something that pointed my direction beyond the people that were gathered together to the God that drew them together by His Son. That's the purpose of these gifts. Because in the Christian life, our experiences are to be submitted to the filter of God's Word. And so our goal in life is to live for His glory. But we do that by, by looking back to His Word. Acts gives us the example of the Bereans. How about we just be Metro Life Church and look to the Word? Please don't take my word for it. Please take this word for it. And look at it for yourselves. In other words, our goal is not what, that we do something in a service that draws attention to ourselves. We want to draw attention to God for His glory. Paul captures that in chapter 14 when he says that the people would walk away, 1 Corinthians 14, 25, saying this, God is truly among them. See, when, when we summarize that as believers, we might say, use that phrase, God be praised. As a matter of fact, when we sing the word hallelujah, that's what we're singing, God be praised. What this actually says is this is a part of our testimony and our witness that is the power of God working through us. It's not something that we are conjuring up on our own. So in the midst of a desire that we would have our lives say, God be praised, may it be so that at Metro Life Church there's a vibrant connection between the Word of God and our experience with the Holy Spirit because they are not mutually exclusive. They don't tip the scales one way or the other. It doesn't tell us how good your devotional life is. It tells us that God is good. Now, I bring all of these things up, and you may be thinking, like, you're taking a lot of time. You've got a lot of stuff to cover. I know. But you're taking a lot of time up front to kind of talk about these things, and, and there's a real reason that I do that. See, I think that there are voices influencing our church that aren't called to this local church. And this isn't a railing against social media or YouTube or investigative series or whatever else. I'm not here to try to answer what happens in every other church because I'm not called to lead every other church. Praise God. I'm here to talk to us and say, I think that there's something in God's Word that is different than what we might be experiencing. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I think that there may be a spirit of cynicism and skepticism that is this kind of close-knit cycle in the church. And, and let me give you an example of what I mean. The cynic may sit back and wonder what's in it for that person. So th this would be the person that says, I love being a part of a spirit-filled church because I just get to sit back and watch. You, you know, there may be some cynicism in that that you may just not be aware of. And I'd rather talk about that up front so that we can just put all the cards on the deck and all of us together collectively have our thinking informed by God's word before we get into it. What's in it for that person? Speaking of the ones who may be seeking to operate in a spiritual gift, or even worse, the ones who may not be good at it yet. There's no promise in Scripture that you will perfectly operate in every gift of the Spirit. Do you know why? The church in Corinth was, and they weren't great at it. And God doesn't step in and say, Yo, okay, listen, that's too much for y'all. I didn't realize, uh, so no, no spiritual gifts for you. No, that's not what God does. See, we're not called out of darkness and to, into the light by Jesus' precious blood in order to be redeemed cynics or skeptics. We're given someone so much more powerful than our own thoughts about his ways, which Scripture clear, clearly tells us not the same thing. We're given the Holy Spirit, the person and powerful work of His Spirit, and we're equipped through God's Word in order to rightly discern the truth. So for today, let me just ask you at the outset, can we be open together to receive from God's Word that it would be the authority over our experiences? It would be the authority over what informs us? It would be the authority for the stirring that may be happening in our own soul that's colliding what's going on in our own mind. Because you just can't get that video you saw with what looked like glitter out of your head. That's not in my notes. I'm going to get back to my notes. I think we're going to see two things clearly through the Scriptures today. 
when we're considering these three gifts. The gifts of faith, the gifts of healings, the gift of miracles are directly connected to our prayer life. So I want to acknowledge this. This is not something that is like spiritual disciplines plus the advanced course. No, this is actually Christian Life 101, the basics. Pray for power. Don't just try to be powerful. That's going to go poorly for you. That's going to go poorly for all of us. Don't do that to God's church. Directly connected to prayer. The gifts of faith, healings, and miracles. Second thing, they work together for the glory of God. They work together for the glory of God. Now, as we look to faith, it may be helpful to just say at the outset, as elders a few years ago, we went away as a team, and we were talking through a series, actually, some years ago on the the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then all COVID broke loose, and that series went away. It's time to get back to that. And what we did in going away was not just some of the, the sermon planning, but what we did was we took some time, and, and for years here, I'll, I'll just confess, like, not all of the authors that we read and quote at times agree with each other on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so this is my articulation of what it could feel like at times. Like, you know, some of our friends say this, and some of our friends say that, and we agree with our friends. And I don't know if that's something that we can continue in as a church. I, I just see so, so, so much divisiveness in the church today. And, and I'm not here again to address that. I'm here to just call us to something. And so as elders, what we did was we took some time and just said, okay, how would Metro Life, dis- Metro Life Church define the gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith? And it was challenging I'm not convinced we've got it right, and so here, here's what I'm doing for, for today. We are presenting this and looking at God's Word together. We are presenting this and looking at God's Word together. Now, I want to let you know that there's a full list of these spiritual gifts, including uh, gifts of service and gift of mercy and compassion. All of those are gifts of the Spirit. We're focused on three today. There's an entire list of those along with what we would call a MetroLife Church definition of those gifts on our website at metrolife.org, and it's there for you. I made sure it was updated uh, this last week as we were getting ready for today. But let me, let me give you an example of what we put together. If we look at MetroLife Church's definition of faith, it's this. Faith that is distinct from saving or sustaining faith, the supernatural gift of faith is a unique impartation in a particular moment or circumstance. This is indeed for the good of others in strengthening their faith and to encourage trust in God in the face of apparently insurmountable odds. Now let's unpack that just a little bit. So the New Testament has a lot to say about faith in general. It doesn't explicitly refer to the charismata or the gift of faith outside of 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. So what is it that we're talking about here? I mean, we're, we're obviously just kind of focused in on a couple of verses, even as Paul has given this description of all of these different gifts, and that list isn't exhaustive in and of itself. He's given a list of all of these different gifts. What are we supposed to do with something like the gift of faith? Maybe the the best way to identify and define the nature of this gift is is to actually look at how faith is portrayed elsewhere in Scripture. So we think about saving faith. That's the faith that we exercise following the new birth, and and it's how we are justified before Christ Jesus. Then there's sustaining faith. That's the faith that we exercise daily as as we learn this dependence on and confidence in God himself that he will sustain us and indeed bring us home. And then there's what we're talking about today, this charismatic or supernatural faith. Now, I think that Mike did just a wonderful job of talking about us being open to the supernatural. I think Seth did just a wonderful job kind of laying out the groundwork. And even just, I just so appreciated how both of these men were so humble in their approach to these things. And that's an example to me. I don't want to just act like I have all the answers. I want to act like I'm dependent on God for the answers. Especially in the moments when you're sitting across the table for someone and you're just like, should we pray? If you're asking the question, probably. You probably should just pray. That's okay. There's power in that. There's there's answers to those. 
that we get to experience as a church, but this charismatic or, or what we would call a grace gift. This charismatic gift of faith is noted actually in several different texts, and it appears to be this spontaneous function and divinely enabled condition on which some of the other supernatural gifts are, they're kind of hung on that. They, they depend on that. And so this is the gift of faith that I believe we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. So, so what would be some of the functions of that? What, why do we need a supernatural, charismatic gift of faith? I don't know. Have you lived in the world today? Like that, I need that on the daily. I'm assuming that we all do. So here, here's, here's some thoughts on what, what we're seeing here. Supernatural, charismatic faith is faith that God is your sole source for blessing. That God alone is your hope. We, we consider passages like Psalm 33, 18 through 22 where it says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Notice where our hope is. Our hope is in His steadfast love. It might be the faith in God's ability. In these, two, in these passages, uh, we're going to be seeing how it's actually faith in God's ability to heal, but it may just be faith in God's ability to accomplish something. We consider Matthew 8, 2 through 3, it says this, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. What about Matthew 9, 28 through 29, where it says, When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, may it be done to you. What about this? Faith in God's heart for his people. And here's where we encounter a God who is not just this austere, standoffish, high-in-the-heavens God sitting on His throne, ready to strike us at any moment. No, we have faith in God's heart for His own people. Those who, as we were just praying and celebrating, our image bears. What does Psalm 103, 1-5 inform us? It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives your iniquity? Who heals your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good? Why? So that your faith is renewed like the eagle's. We have to have faith in God's heart for His people. We, we have to have faith that God does what He promised. An example that we might, we might be, uh, an example might be with healing. That's still His purpose and His plan to heal people today. You may look at this and just think, that was wonderful in Scripture. That's wonderful in that third world country, but that's not what I experienced in my conference room. You can What's the difference? Is, this God's, is God's presence not there? Sometimes we just have to have faith that God still does what He has promised, and He's still doing that today. What about this? That faith that it's God's will to heal right here and right now. James refers to this in a very specific way. He calls it the prayer of faith. Let's actually turn over to James chapter 5. If you, you have your Bible with you or your app, just turn over. James chapter 5, I'm going to be looking at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's, a, if he's committed sins he will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working Elijah was a man with a nature like ours 
And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. All of a sudden, James is kind of connecting two of our topics today. He's, he's connecting prayers of faith and then the miraculous that happens. And he's doing that outside of just the context of healing. I believe that these gifts do work together, but there are times that healing doesn't come, and we're going to explore that just a moment briefly. But we want to have prayers of faith. A few weeks ago, my, uh, my keychain has on it uh, kind of a newer piece, and this actually holds anointing oil. So that when I do hospital visitations, I'm able to just pray and anoint, anoint a forehead with oil. We've done this in our living room in different community groups and different things like that. I don't believe that there's anything special about my thumb and your forehead and that oil. But there was this kind of strange moment with one of my kids asked me. They were like, hey, Dad, what's this on your keychain? I said, oh, that's anointing oil for when I go and I pray for someone. They said, oh, that's weird. That sounds biblical. Why is that weird? And they said, I thought it was cologne. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> Who's walking around with cologne on their keychain? If you are, Shane would like to meet with you this next week. No, <laughs> especially if it's Acts, right? Like you're out of the youth ministry. Uh, I mean, so it was, this, it was this interesting interaction with one of my kids where I was just like, huh, what? Like, where did that come from? And it's not because it's this thing of you don't know my job. Like, that's not that, I'm not that guy. It's more that thing of like, there is what is weird to the world, and I'm not calling my kids worldly, but they didn't understand this concept. And then there's what should just be normal for the believer. And I think what I'm here to do is normalize the supernatural, if that's okay for us this morning. I think God's word normalizes the supernatural because it's not about me or you, it's about him and his glory. That's when Supernatural is most normalized, if I can put it that way, which I did, so I'm just going to keep going. See, James is exhorting us not just to pray, not just to be broad in our prayers, but he is exhorting us to praise the Lord in every blessing and to petition the Lord in every sorrow. In other words, He's the only one we turn to no matter how high the high or how low the low. See, this, this should be a regular rhythm in our life. This should be something that, that is just a part of what we experience, not just in these su Sunday gatherings, but it should be a part of our community groups. It should be a part of our various ministries that meet. It should be a part of just a meal at a fellow believer's house. It should be about the conference room on a Thursday afternoon when a coworker shares a medical diagnosis. It should be about a moment when you say, I'm going to pray for you, and it doesn't come across in this cliche thoughts and prayers kind of way, but that we actually turn to the mighty God who is able. Faith. Now, James does speak clearly about... <clears throat> not putting our hopes in our own righteousness. When he talks about the prayers of a righteous man, he is not talking about one who has become a new level of austere in this earth where they are kind of the untouchables. If you turn to an untouchable in this world, don't be surprised if your prayers are not answered because it's not about their righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness given to you and to me. Prayers of a righteous man means that we have received saving faith. But he also speaks clearly about the relationship between sickness and sin. And we're going to explore that in just a moment. See, James has in mind sins like bitterness, resentment, jealousy, anger, unforgiveness. He's, he's very clearly talking about our relationships with, with one another within the context of the book of James. And so it's important for us to kind of know that as we look further at healings because there are times that God uses our infirmities to reveal what's going on in our own hearts. So what about healings? Well, we would define healing as this. The gift of healing is divinely given to reveal the God of heaven to the sick and the tormented. 
while healing alleviates suffering, its primary concern is the spiritual well-being and relationship with Jesus of those who are being healed. Individuals who are given this gift do not directly perform healings. Rather, they participate in this gift from God our Father. May I put it this simply? I do not believe that there is a faith healer that is one that we can always turn to in terms of a man in this world. There is a divine healer who is the great physician that we can always turn to in our need, but he is not of this world. Actually, I think that the the word, the phrase that's used here, many of your Bibles might say gifts of healing. And I think it's right that it would be plural, but I think that a better translation of that passage would actually be gifts of healings. In other words, there's this broad spectrum of what God uses for His glory in bringing restoration. And there's a number of words here that we could kind of get into, but I don't think that Uh, I think it's important for us to state at the outset that I don't think this means that this is all kind of residing in one individual who would have all healing power at all times for all diseases. Actually, his language kind of better suggests that there are different gifts or powers of healings. I think think of Eddie Needham in our own church as a a physician. Eddie's one of the most faith-filled prayers I know, and I just love it, right? If I'm sick, I want Eddie praying for me. I want Danny and then Eddie praying for me. If I'm sick, I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't want my mother-in-law praying for me because when she prays, her prayers are answered in the most devastating ways. <laughs> like they needed a new tile one time and like their kitchen flooded in order to get her new tile. Praise God, but I want you praying for me if I'm sick, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, my arm's hurting. Oh, now it's, now it's gone. You know, I'd like, no, Cindy, you're not allowed to pray for me. But Danny and then Eddie, just so y'all know, if something happens to me, that's the order, okay? It's on tape. I know this is not legal, but, like, use that. (laughs) What is wrong with me this morning? See, Paul didn't envision one person who has every aspect of healing. Because that person only exists in the heavens. He's very much alive. He's very much able. But it's not us. I want to be clear about something here. In any form through any means, including medical intervention, healing is an expression of divine mercy. You may think, where, where do you get that from? Well, Philippians 2.27 very clearly says this. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. See, it's important for us to consider when we talk about the word healing What is it that that word in its original language means? Now, if you would just hang with me for a moment. I'd like to just read a section I found very helpful as it kind of connects to the issue of healing. I don't have this necessarily on the screen, but I I just want to read this. So if you could just stay with me for a moment. We understand this. The most common meaning of aema, that is healing in this text, is a physical healing. The word is also used for the remedy or the medicine or cure that brings about the healing. So this is where we begin to understand Paul's language is very broad here in its application. The literal uses of the word are predominant, but the word is also used figuratively and metaphorically of restoration from evil, spiritual or mental. See, God is divine over all of those things because he created all of those things. Let me just give you a brief, brief example. I'm going to just skip down in my notes a little bit, guys, but just a brief example. When, when I pray for someone for healing, I, I believe that the passage that says, by his stripes we are healed, primarily means that our relationship with God as Father is restored. But let me tell you something, church. Blood that is powerful enough to do that Oh, it's powerful enough to pray over someone that they would be healed and their physical body would be restored. But let's make sure we understand that rightly. We don't just walk around like claiming the blood of Jesus and presuming on it. We want to handle the word rightly. We want to understand rightly. And so 
That's how I pray for people. Lord, we believe that the blood that is powerful enough to save us is powerful enough to heal us. And so show your mercy through that. Uh, that's, that's how it is that I use that to pray for people. I draw this out to kind of help us understand the, the, the depth and the breadth of this gift of healing that we shouldn't hesitate to celebrate within the church. I know we did do this a few weeks ago. See, we believe in instant and divine power for healing in a miraculous way. And yes, you hear me kind of setting up, moving into miracles. We do believe in healing also over time through the common grace of modern medicine. We do believe in natural ways that God has given and provided for us through healthy eating and exercise. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm currently going through a book on Sabbath. It's called 24-6. It's written about Sabbath from the perspective of a physician. And I'm just finding it so fascinating to listen to. He connects it to God's Word. But to hear a physician kind of talk about the physical effects of taking a day of rest for Sabbath, that's a gift from God. For what? For restoration. Gifts of healings. Many of you have heard of or read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I think that these are ways that God shows us that there are natural ways that God has provided for us. He does so through the common grace of modern medicine, and he is able to miraculously intervene. So what then might be some of the biblical reasons that someone not be healed? Let us handle this next section with sobriety and care. Because there is the life of an image bearer at the end of what I'm about to say. What do I mean by that? Don't go around swinging scriptures at people. In your community groups, at your kitchen tables, say, you know, I think the reason you're not being healed is you lack faith. Yep, I had a faith healer say that to my memo one time. Maybe I'm particularly overly sensitive to that. God can deal with me in that area. But let's not treat one another like that. Because if Meemaw didn't have faith, we're all doomed. What are some of the biblical reasons someone may not be healed? Well, what about the, ab- the absence of, or maybe the presumption on, faith that God doesn't honor in other words there's there's not a real faith there see James uses the phrase the prayers of the righteous meaning the righteousness that Christ alone can provide not something that we build up for ourselves over time living rightly what about the secondly the presence of sin without confession or repentance we we actually see this explicitly in James chapter 5 but it's not an assumption, I want to be most crystal clear here, this is not to be an assumption that if someone is not healed, that there is sin present in their lives. That's not how we walk away from prayer times. Our ministry team isn't sitting here like, whoa, 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 whoa. You weren't healed instantly? You need to go see a pastor. Why would we presume that on one another? In other words, walk through this one very carefully in the care of a community group, and, and, and in, the, in the care of pastoral ministry. Thirdly, what, what about the person who is not willing to receive? And that may just sound offensive on, like, what? Yeah, Scripture actually tells us that there are those who are not willing to receive. Jesus asked the paralyzed man in John 5, 6, do you want to be healed? And on, on the surface, you may just think, What a ridiculous question. Of course he wants to be healed. Actually, I think this is an insightful question that Jesus is asking. He's asking about the man's willingness to receive the gift of healing. James 4, 2 points us to a lack of receiving because of a lack of asking. Perhaps you've just simply given up asking because it's not been answered to this point. So why keep asking the same question over and over again. What about a demonic cause? Luke, Luke 13 points to someone who had an issue of blood over a demonic cause. 
There's also the reality of the mystery of divine providence. So not only am I kind of calling us as a church to be open to the supernatural, I'm actually calling us as a church to be open to mysteries that we don't understand this side of heaven. We're actually promised those in Scripture. See, divine providence is related to sovereignty, but it's not the same. Sovereignty is the ruling will of God, and providence is His intervening action toward the world that He created. Isaiah 46.10 says this, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. He is able to divinely intervene. But you may reply, I don't, I don't, like, I don't like mystery. Okay. I'll tell you what. Let's start with a more basic fundamental mystery. Why did God choose you and me? And as soon as you can answer that mystery, let's resolve all the rest of them. Our faith involves mystery. What about this? What about where healing would be good from the eyes of those who are praying for it, the one who is praying for healing, but what if the lessons that are learned from not being healed are more part of the purposes of God and they're better long-term for the individual? See, more important to God than your healing is your holiness. Romans 8.28 points us to this. And this is why I say these are things that we walk through very carefully. They're not, they're not the front thing like, before I pray for you for healing, let me just run through this checklist real quick to make sure you're going to be healed. Any sin... Like, don't do that. Don't do that to people. Just pray for them and walk through life together in an eternal direction. God will reveal those things over time. Lastly, miracles. Miracles are given by God. This is our definition as a church. Miracles are given by God through His Spirit to the church to reveal the presence and glory of God among His people, creating a sense of awe, wonder, and godly fear. They meet our particular need in a way that only the supernatural can do, demonstrating God's power overall. Now, now the word here, often translated miracles, is actually the Greek word for powers. And so we kind of have this double plural, right? We have this workings of powers, and we have the gifts of healings, and we have the workings of powers. And what does that show us? It shows us how infinitely creative God is in having His purposes come forward. He's infinite in his creativity. He has all of these things at his disposal that you and I can't even imagine. That's his power. But it, it points to certain operations of that gift. I mean, let's just think of a few examples from Scripture. Paul may have had some of these in mind. What happened in Acts 9, where Peter raises Tabitha and Dorcas from the dead? Acts 13, 8 through 11, where Paul induces blindness on Elimus. One might also include here Peter's word of disciplinary judgment that resulted in the immediate death of Ananias and Sapphira. That's some old school church discipline right there. We do not operate in that here at Metro Life Church. Perhaps natural miracles could be included here. Turning water into wine, stilling the storm on the Sea of Galilee, reproducing food, causing rain to cease or begin as with Elijah. What about supernatural deliverances and exorcisms and demonic casting out of demons that are in view here as well? See, a miracle can be referring to God using a common thing with a miraculous timing or placement. What about a timing example from Scripture? Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to, to swallow Jonah. What about a placement example? Peter finds a fish with a coin in the mouth. Did, did God place it there right when that happened? Was that something he had scooped up when eating? That's a mystery. In God's divine providence, he could have handled that in a number of different ways, but it was miraculous. God was the source of it. You might have Old Testament examples of miracles with Samson's strength was not from his natural ability. That was the supernatural strength that God had given him. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him in Judges 16.20. What about New Testament examples of miracles? Five people raised from the dead in the New Testament. Philip did miracles. Uh, Paul brought about unusual miracles. Peter did signs and wonders. You know, as a, as a team, we often interact with one another's notes, and I'm grateful for that. It, it helps me not go off the rails entirely. 
It, help, it helps us as a church, I think, have this kind of unified voice. And, and actually, we've been seeking to expand that over the last few months. Those that are gifted in teaching and, and in prophetic ministry and a variety of the offices that we see in Ephesians 4, that we have been gathering together kind of elders and deacons and those who have these gifts of prophecy and, and teaching and just saying, Lord, how do we come out of this understanding how to best serve the church to be equipped to live as a spirit-filled church and they have been wonderful meetings they've been wonderful times together i walk away from those times so encouraged and i just think god look at what you're doing in your church i think god is posturing us as a church to experience something absolutely wonderful but this week as as the guys had my notes danny wrote back and i just am going to quote him directly As it comes to these miracles, what he says is this. These are obviously off the charts. They're incredible examples that most of us would never expect. But if we make the connection between day-to-day life in God's hand, we are constantly seeing him do glorious things that we know we could not do on our own or in an ability that we have in this life. God surprises us as we yield to his will for our life. I'm so grateful our founding pastor is still a part of this local church and that his voice could come through to you in that way this morning. Let me close as we move into communion with this example. Some months ago, a friend was brought to church. A neighbor of one of our members and we had made an adjustment to our schedule. It was an unexpected adjustment. Uh, if you're here any length of time, you may realize that our regular rhythm as a church is to receive communion together the last Sunday of each month. It's just the way that we've scheduled it. But because of some things going on, we had to make an adjustment to the schedule. It seemed like just a simple administrative thing to do. I think that that change had been made six weeks before this particular Sunday. And after the service in the lobby, as I was greeting folks as they were heading out, uh, our member brought up her friend, and she said she was just, in the last two weeks, uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer. And she just wanted to receive communion with the church again. She had no idea. Six weeks before God knew she'd be here with us that day. Because not long after, she, she went to him in glory. See, that's miraculous. I love that the other gifts of the Spirit are involved, like administration and service and all these other types of things. But you know where the miracle in the midst of that was? God knew he was going to meet his daughter that day. And he was going to show her that he was near to her with what he was walking through. That's miraculous. We want to celebrate that church. It's not just a merely, what a neat coincidence. No, what a powerful, supernatural, divine, miraculous, wonder-working, powerful God we serve. And, and, and I just responded to her. I said, to hear your story causes my faith to rise. Can I pray for you? And she said, yes. Now, her healing did not come in this earth. Her healing came through eternity. Am I disappointed by that? No. Because there was a moment when in an interaction with my sister in Jesus Christ, who I only met on this earth one time, that I get to spend eternity with celebrating that moment. God gave a gift of faith that I can't conjure up on my own. I can't create that in my own heart. I don't just walk around like, I just have the gift of faith. Who needs it right now? They would never let me in Publix again. No, God gives those gifts as we are obeying him, as we are laying down our lives, or as Danny said, we are yielding to him. 
And as we consider moving into communion, I, I'd invite you to, to think about these words captured for us in Isaiah 43, 16 through 21. Because just like God's people who are in exile and they need to hear this message, we, you and I need to be reminded that God can make a way where there is no way. Doing, quote unquote, a new thing so that all will sing his praise. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, it says in Isaiah 43, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The, the beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. To give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself. That they may do what? They may declare my praise. You know, if you remember what we read in, in James chapter 5, Elijah is used as an example, and James says he was just like you and me. Sure, it, it's easy for us to think about him as a hero of the faith. They, they don't write truth quest lessons about me, and praise God, that's the case. We can set Elijah up as this hero of the faith, and we can forget the fact that he was just like you and me, that he needed a source of supply, that he had his own human weaknesses, that he had his own fear, doubts, and failures. But when it comes to faith, healing, or miracles, there are many things in the world that can discourage us. There are many things in the world that can, can kind of take us back to those moments of skepticism or cynicism, even as we talked about at the open. There are many things that we could look to and realize this is beginning to steal and it's beginning to kill my faith and it's, it's destroying the things that God has been building up in my life. And I just want to address for a moment, I know we're not on the topic of prophecy, but there are times that this phrase, I am doing a new thing, can be used in prophecy, and it can just be like, oh, there's a prophetic cliche. No, 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 that's explicitly biblical prophetic language. And can I just set up a juxtaposition of what you might be struggling with in cynicism or skepticism and what the reality is in the supernatural work of God? The reason that God can always be doing a new thing is because He is infinitely creative in seeing His kingdom go forward. Satan has a very limited bag of tricks. He is a defeated foe. The cross declared His ultimate end. But more than that, He is not infinitely creative in the ways that He is going after you. So in things that we might be praying about, things that we might be facing in our culture, he's using the same bag of tricks. And what is that? He is distorting the good image of good, God's good design. He is seeking to steal and to kill and to destroy. And you know what? He does that and no more under the authority of God. But God is doing a new thing because he is infinite in his power and creativity to see his kingdom go forth. I'd rather be on his side. Scripture tells us there's nothing new that we face under the sun. Do you know why? Satan's old bag of tricks. Don't overthink it. But God is always doing a new thing. Yeah, because he is continuing to expand his kingdom for his glory alone. See, when we think about this passage in Isaiah... We realize that in Christ, God is going beyond anything that Isaiah could have ever imagined. Through Christ commissioning the Holy Spirit, he is going beyond anything that Isaiah could have imagined. Isaiah is the one who in introduces us to Emmanuel, that is, God with us. And Christ has commissioned the Holy Spirit to be with us. And we glorify Christ through encountering his Spirit's presence and enjoying His grace gifts.
Church, our hearts should be full. Our minds should be informed by God's word alone. But more than that, our spirit should be strengthened even in this meal of remembrance. This isn't where we set aside the Holy Spirit and we pick up the weight of doctrine. This is intended to be a meal of filling until the ultimate fulfilling of this meal when we are gathered together for eternity for our redemption feast with him if you need elements our ushers are making their way around the room I believe just raise your hand they can get you elements not only are we to experience the grace gifts that God pours out on us as we gather together as a church but we are to partake of this meal together. And we're to do so in a way that, that doesn't kind of ask those cynical or skeptical questions. It doesn't think about what so or so or they might say. It's not even worried about what I might say. It's about receiving what it is that the Lord is saying to his people. And so this morning, we examine ourselves as we draw near to the table. We don't want to be ones who aren't discerning as it relates to the body. We don't want to be ones who drink judgment on ourselves as we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We want to be ones who are a part of fulfilling the needs of others. And we want to be ones who can, with Paul, celebrate this meal together. When he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that on the that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So church, let's take and eat together. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me so let's take and drink together